Luke chapter 18, where I would like to begin. There are many places to begin this subject, and the subject covers much of the Bible because the Bible is a lesson in the mercy of God. But we want to study the mercy of God. All that we know about God, other than his eternal power, his Godhead, the wise design of his creation, is revealed in Scripture. The natural creation shows those few things about him. It does not show his great mercy like the Bible shows his great mercy. And so we read Scripture to find out more about the God that we worship. We're thankful for the scriptures for that purpose. They make us wise unto the God that has saved us. I'm turning you to Luke 18 because we have in this place a short little prayer that introduces to us the importance of understanding and believing and trusting the mercy of God. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, Jesus had this parable to say. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Amen. Amen. And amen. When you fall upon the mercy of God, you are humbling yourself. Because mercy is no claim from you. You are falling upon the sheer, mere pleasure of God for him to show mercy towards you. You are crying, I have nothing I can bring. I am helpless. I need your deliverance. And mercy takes over at that point. If you go with anything, you do not know the mercy of God correctly. Many will say to our Lord Jesus Christ in the great day of judgment, Lord, Lord, and then they will recite things that they have done in their lives. To them, there is no mercy. He will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Mm -hmm. But to those that come before him and have nothing to bring, he will show them the mercy of God, and they will be saved with an everlasting salvation. Truly it is that when the righteous get there and he says, you visited me when I was sick, You clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. The righteous will say, when did we ever do such things? But in his mercy, he will have remembered all those things that they have done. But the righteous don't remember them. In fact, the righteous can't even recall them because they are so insignificant in the face of the glorious judge that they are going to be before. The mercy of God, we want to learn about it today. We want to study it and learn about it this morning We want to come back this evening and have a praise service into which we will recall the mercy of God in our own lives and construct some short verses like Psalm 136 has for us to celebrate the mercy of God. Now, we recently studied that question, does God love everybody, a few weeks ago, and we gave it a negative answer because that's what the Bible teaches us. God's love is special, it is particular, it is for the elect only. And if in studying that subject, realizing that God is not this big puff of cotton candy in the sky which you can grab and shove in your mouth, if that gave you discomfort, this message will give you comfort because God is merciful to all of his children. 
And you can run to that God and lay hold of his mercy for all of your needs, practical and spiritual. And he will respond and he will deliver you. As we read this morning in Psalm 136, all the deliverances that are there. And those of you in your preparatory reading last night that went on and read Psalm 118 and 127 and 128, you saw the mercy of God in all those places right. toward his children. So I want to comfort you this morning. We want to celebrate and rejoice in the mercy of God because it's worthy of our praise and our joy. I'm an expert on this subject. I hope that in your souls you are saying, no, I'm the expert. Amen. But I get to have this place this morning and say that I'm the expert. The Apostle Paul, if he were here, he would say he was the expert on the mercy of God, that more had been shown to him than any other man. That's why he said he was the chiefest of sinners. He had persecuted the church of God, and that God had had mercy on him, shown him the Lord Jesus Christ, delivered him from his ways of trouble and blasphemy and slaughter against the churches of Christ, and saved him with a great salvation, and made him the apostle of the Gentiles. Now that is mercy. And I hope that we all can recognize that there's great mercy in our lives, spiritually, first and most of all, but then naturally in so many ways as well. We are blessed people, Amen. the most blessed people that have ever populated this earth. We have more in a combination of material blessings and spiritual blessings than any other people that have ever lived. God has been very merciful to us because we do not deserve any such advantage over others. Right. Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is forbearance. You say, what in the world's forbearance? It's putting up with. Forbearance means to put up with something in another person. Mercy is putting up with and having compassion to another person who is in your power and who has no claim to receive your kindness. So mercy is when you're shown kindness, when you have no claim to such kindness. Mercy is compassion and forbearance, putting up with evil things that you are doing when you have no claim to such forbearance or, to, or compassion. I have explained grace to you this way. The world, the Christian world, loves to define grace as unmerited favor. That's a travesty on the word grace. Because we are not in a state of neutrality before God. Right. If we were neutral, then you could say that grace was unmerited favor. We hadn't done anything to merit the favor of God and his grace. But we are not in a neutral state before God. We are in a condemned state before God. Therefore, grace must be demerited favor. Right. We have merited judgment. We have demerited blessings, but he shows them to us anyway. It's called grace. Amen. Now, the little, the little difference between grace and mercy, if grace is demerited favor, mercy is demerited forgiveness. Grace is more the bestowing of good things on someone deserving horrible things, and mercy is more the not executing that wrath and judgment on them when it is well-deserved. So mercy is demerited forgiveness. The forgiveness of God when we do not deserve it, in fact, we deserve his judgment. In the Bible, we find the word mercy in its various forms used twice as often as the word grace. Now, we often sing of amazing grace, and we love to talk about grace, and we ought to speak of grace. But let's not forget the word mercy. They're very close to each other. In the Bible, they often overlap, and I'm not trying to say they don't, but let's recognize that mercy has an important place in the Bible. The first thing we want to do here is to define it. Now, in the Bible, the, the, Bible, the Lord also speaks of his tender mercies. Now, we worship a God that the Bible also calls the great and the terrible and the dreadful God. Right. Because he is great, and he is terrible, and he is dreadful. Jehovah is a terrible and a dreadful God. He is not the senile grandfather on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He is the dreadful God of the Israelites. And we can read about him in the Bible. 
But you know, the Bible also says he is full of tender mercies. Amen. Now, tender is something that we think of, and we think of gentle, compassionate, pitiful treatment of another person when we think of tender. But our Lord God toward his children is of tender mercies. And so we're defining the word, of mercy, the word mercy. He does not punish us as we deserve. He shows us tender affection and loving kindnesses and compassion and pity when we do not deserve it. That is the mercy of God. And that is something that you can trust in and rely on for the rest of your life. No matter what your need, you can go to God and know that he will be merciful to you. I hope that you will always remember Psalm 136 that we read this morning. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. Amen. And we repeated it 26 times, and that is no vain repetition. Those are good words that ought to be repeated. For his mercy endureth forever. Amen. You can lay hold of that mercy, and it will never let you go. Because his mercy endureth forever. Let's look at Exodus chapter 32, just a couple of references as we define the word mercy and see that it is God not pouring forth his punishment upon those that deserve it. Now I have skipped many verses and you'll be able to look at the outline on the website of many verses that I won't have time to use this morning. But we'll look at the high points and we'll delight, we'll learn enough about mercy this morning that we can rejoice in it and we can come together again tonight and praise the Lord for his mercy to each of us and to all of us together. Look at Exodus 32 and verse 14. The Bible says, The Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Exodus 32, 14. Now there are some expressions in that verse where God is reducing himself to us in language that we could understand. But the main point I want to get out of that verse is that's mercy. The Lord repented. He changed his mind and did not punish his people with the punishment he had thought they were worthy of. And they were, of course they were worthy of his punishment or he wouldn't have thought of it. But he didn't do it, and that's his mercy. And how many times have we enjoyed the mercy of God? Amen. And it's a shame when we don't think enough about our lives to realize the sins and the coldness and the lack of worshiping love toward our Savior that deserves his punishment. Do you know what the Bible says? It says that when Jesus Christ comes, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall be anathema, maranatha. Right. Under the curse of Christ that is coming, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about our lives, have we loved him always as much as we should? No. He's been merciful to us. And so we want to bask in that mercy, not to take advantage of it, but we want to be thankful for it. Right. Look at Psalm 78. How often was Israel the recipient of God's great mercies toward them? They are a people in whom we can find comfort because they were as foolish as we are. Mm -hmm. Let's not say they were worse. You know, how many times do you read the book of Judges and say, I wouldn't have been so rebellious and stiff-necked and hard-hearted. No. On what basis do you make that claim? They were a stiff-necked people, and God said they were, but we would have been just as bad or worse. And to think better of ourselves is to, again, approach God, not relying on his mercy, but relying on your self-righteousness. There is no mercy for the self-righteous. Didn't you get that lesson from Luke 18, where we began? He was comparing a man falling on the mercy of God versus a man falling on his self-righteousness. I thank you, Lord. And these people can be most pious. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this sinner over here, this publican. I thank you that I'm not as bad as he is. There's no mercy for such a man. We've got to come naked, helpless, hopeless, and sinful, and there'll be plenteous of mercy for us. Amen. And so Israel gives us a great example of that because how many times did they provoke him? Psalm 78, beginning at verse 36. Just an example out of this great chapter. Psalm 78, 36, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. Now, what does God think of those who flatter him and lie to him? He's going to judge them. These are high offenses against the Most High God. Verse 37, for their heart was not right with him, 
neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. There are four verses, and do you know what those verses can say without having the word in them? For the mercy, for his mercy endureth forever. Those verses describe the mercy of God in that he did not punish them according to their works. And we haven't been punished according to our works. If the Lord should mark iniquities, the Bible asks and answers, who shall stand? But we're standing, and we're standing as the sons of God this morning because of his great mercy. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that love him and fear him. There's a description, again, of the mercy of God. Pity, compassion, loving kindness, long-suffering, holding back wrath, not executing punishment. That is God's mercy toward us. That's the definition of it. Now, how important is this subject? If God were only holy, if God were only just, if God were only righteous, what hope would we have? None. Because there would have been nothing to propel him, to move him, to design a plan of salvation involving the Lord Jesus Christ as a substitute for us. Pure holiness, pure righteousness, pure justice would have sent us to hell. But he's merciful. Amen. And he wanted to display that mercy to the universe. Look at Psalm 130. Psalm 130, we want to look briefly at the importance of the mercy of God. Psalm 130. Here's the verse that we just quoted to each other a moment ago. Verse 3. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Amen. Psalm 130 and verse 3. Verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. It is the mercy of God that propels godly fear. If there was no mercy in the Lord God, the fear that we would have would be a devilish fear. The devils are afraid of God. They tremble with their knowledge of the Most High. They fell on their faces and worshiped the Son of God when he was here on earth out of great fear of the torment that is coming for them for eternity. But that fear never drives them to confess their sins or to repent. Because they know there is no mercy or forgiveness for them. And God has left them in the hardness of the arrogance and pride of their hearts. But those who understand that there is forgiveness with God, it provokes a godly fear. The fear that runs to the Lord and repents and asks for forgiveness. Because look at that fourth verse again. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now we, we tend to think if a person is forgiving, then that person doesn't need to be feared. But see, we're talking about a God that in verse 3, we are told about him that if he should ever mark iniquities, no one can stand. Well, if there are some that he doesn't mark their iniquities but forgives them, then that ought to provoke a godly fear toward him where our fear is to worship him with reverence and awesome respect in a desire to please him in all that we do Amen. because we know there's forgiveness with him and he's made a difference. He's not treating us as he describes in verse 3. He's treating us as he describes in verse 4. But it goes on to say in verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. When you read that whole psalm, you realize there's a great impetus for us to fear God in a godly way of wanting to order our lives aright and live holy lives, hating sin and worshiping him with a full and reverent heart because there's forgiveness with him, because there's mercy with him. Mercy makes God the glorious being he is. Without any of the attributes that God reveals in Scripture, he would be less than the glorious being he is. He is great and glorious and worthy of our praise 
because of all that is said about him. And his mercy is one of those things. And we want to worship him because of it. Now, let's think about mercy. Here's where God is superior to you in the greatest measure. You say, no, God is superior to me in the greatest measure in his power. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll prove it in a minute. If you were God, or if I were God, how many would be saved? I can tell you for me, if I were God, none would be saved. I'd annihilate the race. Because there is not within us any thought or any way that ever approaches the thoughts and ways of God when it comes to his mercy and his pardon and his forgiveness. He is very different than what we are. We are a rebellious race. We stood in Eden and raised our fist in the face of the Most High and said we'd rather do it our way, get lost. And he's been merciful. Some of those rebels he has saved. Look at Isaiah 55 and let me prove to you that God is greater than you in mercy. And that's the one he wants to appeal to as being far superior to you. His mercy versus your mercy. I have seen people, sometimes in the mirror, I have seen people that get upset with another person because they didn't invite them to a dinner or a party. I have seen people upset because another person didn't acknowledge them when passing in a room full of people. Are you, are you thinking with me? Do you know how vicious that is? That is profanely vicious. That is profanely wicked. That is being totally unmerciful. Someone else wrongs us. We remember it. That is profanely wicked. We hold it against them. We seek revenge. We rejoice when something evil happens in their life. That is profanely wicked. God is, not, God is not like that. Here's what he has to say. And I hope you'll love these verses and love their context. You know, we study the Bible in its context because context is what guides us in the interpretation of every verse. A verse without its context is a pretext. It's a joke. Somebody who uses a verse without its context is rejoicing in the sound of the words rather than the sense of the words. Look at Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. A wicked man can run to God and know that there is abundant pardon there and there will be mercy and forgiveness there for him. Now, see, we're not used to that because in dealing with each other, we don't find that level of mercy and forgiveness in one another by nature that we find in the Lord. And so he adds this to give us encouragement in verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yeah. Many love to run to verses 8 and 9 just to pull out the sound of those words. God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. They apply it to intellect. They apply it to power. They apply it to wisdom. But the issue of the context is mercy, right. forgiveness, and pardon. God's pardon and mercy and forgiveness is that much higher than our ways that we should not measure him by the way that we relate to one another. Now, God helping us, before I finish this morning, we will see the mercy of God as a pattern for our mercy toward one another. Right. But by nature, we do not have that kind of mercy, and so God tells us to divorce our thoughts of Him from what we have experienced and seen in others and know is in our own heart. God and His forgiveness and pardon is much greater. When you fail, and you will, and you will often, you can run to God and beg for His mercy. The simplest prayer 
is the most powerful prayer in Scripture. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What did David say after his great sins of adultery and murder? I have sinned against the Lord. There was no appeal to anything. And the Lord immediately said, Thou art forgiven. In 2 Samuel 12. This is the importance of God's mercy because it is so much greater than our understanding of it. Look at Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. And let's see another verse from Holy Scripture that tells us that the mercy of God is an important subject for us to study, to know, to rejoice in, to lay hold of, to remember, to use. Micah chapter 7. This is a great aspect of God's character, and we want to know all that we can about our God. And we read in Micah 7.18, 7.18, Who is a God like unto thee? Now, usually when we see those words, we're thinking, Who created the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is? Or who overthrew great kings in the land of Canaan? But that's not what is here in Micah 7.18. He wants us to know there is something else that is great about him. Who is like who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Amen. He doesn't hold on to his anger. He gets rid of it, which is what we ought to do in dealing with each other, because he delighteth in mercy. The God that we serve delights in mercy. And we want to be able to run to him with confidence whenever we need his help because he delights in mercy. How do you obtain mercy? By going with nothing in your hand. No price, no claim, no right, no privilege. Just calling upon his own character, God, be merciful. Lord, have mercy. That is why in our prayers so often, and I never want that expression to be trite, or just to be a vain repetition. But we say, Lord, have mercy upon us. And that is a powerful prayer in and of itself. He delights in mercy. And I want us to delight in mercy with him. Amen. Look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. We are looking in the word of God to learn what the Bible says about the character of God. <clears throat> and how important mercy is to him and to us. He's been merciful to every one of you. Amen. I want you to see that he delights in it. Isaiah 63 and verse 7. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. That's good. This is a verse defending the sermon this morning. I will mention. Can't exhaust them, but we'll mention them. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies, and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. I will mention, I will remember, and I will praise God for his mercy that he hath showed on us in bestowing so much good upon us. For the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. Mercy is important, and God expects us to make mention of it and to remember it. Let's rejoice in it, because your life is full of mercy. Why were you born in this nation? Mercy. Why were your children born to Christian parents, or why were you born to Christian parents? Mercy. Why do you have any desire to be in the house of God and to worship God according to Scripture and not according to contemporary Christianity? Mercy. Mercy. Why do you have the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Mercy. Why do you have health this morning? Mercy. You have no right to it, no claim. You've done nothing to deserve it. It's all by the mercy of God. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Amen. And that's why tonight we're going to mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord to each of us, because the Bible tells us to do it. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I like this illustration of the importance of mercy. 2 Chronicles 20 
is about Jehoshaphat, one of the sons of David. And he's facing a great enemy. And he asks the Lord to go with him and help him fight this enemy. And now how is he going to approach the enemy? What strategy will God give Jehoshaphat to lead the armies of Judah into battle against this great enemy? We need to find out, because there's a great victory described here in this chapter, what strategy did they use? You face enemies. You face obstacles. What is the strategy that works? Here it is. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. What was the strategy of the people of God to obtain help in a time of great need? Praise the Lord for his enduring mercy. This is the importance of mercy in the Bible. We want that importance in our own lives. We want to recognize it, and we want to praise him for it. And so they sent singers, not slingers. We've got some learning about slings in this assembly, and they're getting quite good at it. But this, it was singing that won the battle this day. David did take Goliath down with a sling. But it was the singers that defended Jehoshaphat. What a glorious illustration of the importance of mercy. How important is mercy? If we're not merciful, we'll not obtain any. I really want to conclude with that point, but you know the Bible says in Psalm 18 and verse 25, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. God does not show mercy to froward people. God does not show mercy to revengeful people. God does not show mercy to bitter people. God does not show mercy to complaining people. God shows mercy to merciful people. Right. Psalm 18 tells us that. What is this thing called mercy and where does it come from? Why does God show it? To whom does he show it? You know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 9? And we need to see it in print. It's a quote from Exodus chapter 33. But let's see it in Romans chapter 9. To whom does God show his mercy? You know, the world thinks, the Christian world thinks, that God has such a merciful character that he has to show mercy. And that because we're human, and that our existence makes us valuable, that therefore God has to be merciful to us. That is not what the Bible teaches. What God has to be toward us is just. What he chooses to be toward us is mercy. Amen. And the way that he solves them both is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 9, it says in verse 15, For he saith to Moses, and that's where the quote comes from in Exodus 33, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. No one has a right to the mercy of God. No one can claim it. No one can force God to show them mercy. You can't put him in debt to you where he's got to be merciful. He chooses to be merciful to whomever he chooses to be merciful. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Therefore, when we find the mercy of God in our lives, we ought to be most thankful Amen. and we ought to give him praise because that mercy is flowing from a choice of a sovereign God toward us yeah. when there was nothing in us deserving it. Yeah. It is pure mercy. Mm -hmm. And we should love him for it. This is the nature of the mercy of God. 
There's nothing in God to force him to show us mercy. There's nothing in us to, to elicit it from God. There's nothing in a human to elicit mercy from God. He has sent creatures far more noble, powerful, wise than us to an eternity in hell without any mercy. Well, let's say this. Maybe there's a little bit of mercy in their lives. He let them go into pigs for a little while before their time of torment was coming. Remember those spirits that said, Art thou come to torment us before the time? And they asked leave of him to go into some pigs. They couldn't even go into pigs without the permission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you worry about devils and the devil himself and what he can do against you. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They had to get his permission even to enter pigs. The Lord Jesus Christ reigns over all principalities and powers, and those are the devils and all their ranks of authority in dark and evil places. God may withdraw his mercy from you from time to time. You might feel, have a, feel like you have a lean soul. God's withdrawn his mercy that fills your heart with joy and gladness. But if you will fall upon him and beg for his restoration of his mercy, he'll bring it again in the morning. The Bible says we may cry through the night, but there'll be rejoicing in the morning. God's choice to give and withdraw mercy from time to time to teach us lessons. He withdraws his mercy when he chastens us for our sins and praise his holy name for that. Amen. We're not to be weary from the chastening of the Lord. We're to be thankful for it because it perfects us. And actually chastening is another aspect of his mercy because he could let us go on in a path of sin and destroy our lives, but he brings us back by the mercy of chastening. Even though you don't feel like it's much mercy, it's grievous, as the Bible tells us, but its fruit is righteousness, and that is mercy, right. that he would restore righteousness in our lives. Many of the commandments in the Bible are conditional commandments in that they bear blessings if we keep them. If we keep those commandments, there'll be mercy, additional mercy, given to those that keep them. Look at Exodus chapter 20 for just an example of the nature of mercy involving the conditional keeping of commandments. There is extra mercy for those that obey. And this is found throughout the Bible. We'll look at maybe a couple of references. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6, look at what it says. It says that the God that gave the Ten Commandments shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here is mercy that is conditional. It's an extra abundance of mercy toward those that love him and keep his commandments. Now let's back up. If we love God, he already has loved us or we wouldn't love him. That's the order of the Bible. So his mercy was first in the first place for us to ever love him. But when we practice that love and exercise that love and seek that love, he blesses us with more mercy. If we keep his commandments, it's only because he has worked in us what we're working out. But as we work it out, he rewards us with greater mercy. You know, there's that commandment given to children that if they'll obey their parents and honor them, a long life and a good life. That is mercy. To have a long life is the mercy of God. How many dying people have begged for the mercy of God because to live a long life is merciful. But there God is offering that mercy in the keeping of one of his commandments. The initial mercy that saves our souls, changes our hearts, and gives us a new man is by the pure mercy of God. But then additional mercy in our lives, practical mercy, daily mercy for living is by obedience to his commandments. As this verse teaches us, plainly and as so many other expressions in scripture teach us let's look at the book of proverbs one of many that we could look at proverbs chapter 14 and see that some of god's mercy is conditional if we want an abundance of it in our lives proverbs chapter 14 and verse 22 do they not err that devise evil but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. 
If in your life you're, you devise good, you are always trying to think of and plan and execute good toward God and toward others, mercy and truth will be given to you in greater abundance. We're thankful for the truth God has shown us. We beg Him for more truth, that we can understand His Word even better, more completely. But we're going to get that blessing, get that mercy, by devising good. And He will bless. Some of His practical mercy in our lives is conditional upon our obedience and faithfulness. And this, that, so that point could be run for a long time in showing the mercy of God for those that seek the Lord with their whole hearts. You know, we're looking at the nature of mercy. How great is it? When, when the Lord wants to describe His mercy, He says that it's great unto the heavens. In a psalm. He says that it's a multitude of mercies in another psalm. He says it's as high as the heaven in another psalm. He says it's from everlasting to everlasting in another psalm. He says it's great above the heavens in another psalm. His mercy is great. As I prayed earlier this morning, when we go to God in a time of need, there is no limit on the supply. You don't have to wonder, has he finally run out of mercy this time? He doesn't run out of mercy. It's an infinite supply, and we can trust it at all times. Call upon him, sinner. Call upon him. He will abundantly pardon. Amen. There is plenteous of mercy and redemption in our Lord. Look at Job 37, and let's see some examples and evidence of mercy in the earth. Job 37 for your mercy. When you feel the sunshine on your face, do you ever thank you, Lord, for your mercy? Amen. When the sunshine is a little too warm and you feel a cooling breeze, do you think, thank you, Lord, for your mercy? Look at Job 37, beginning at verse 11. Elihu explains well the, the mercy of God and his providence. It says in Job 37, 11, also by watering, he wearieth the thick cloud, he scattereth his bright cloud, and it is turned around about by his counsels, that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world in the earth. He causeth it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for mercy. God directs the clouds. When you see the clouds coming in, twirling around, and sometimes dropping rain, God commanded them to drop rain, sometimes for correction, sometimes for his land, and sometimes for simple mercy. Amen. He's bringing rain that is needed, that is undeserved, but he brings it out of his mercy. Even in the providence of God, we see his mercy. Right. All of you women, when your children were born, you were looking for these little things and you wanted a certain number. What was that number? You were looking on their feet for the same number of things, weren't you? It was important. You wanted to see this pass and to see a little bit of recognition in these two muscles. And you believed then at that time that it was the mercy of God. Now as they get older and those two things look at you sometimes with rebellion in them, it may not be quite so merciful, but that's your job. And that's the job he's given you. But the mercy of God is over all of his creation. Amen. Remember as we concluded Psalm 136 this morning, it said, who giveth food to all. Every meal we have, we thank God for his mercy that we have another meal to partake of. We do not deserve the next meal. So everything that we do, the ability to breathe this morning, the fact that we're still alive, the senses that we have to come here and to worship God this morning, we could go on and on and on. It is the mercy of God. And we should recognize that in all of his providence throughout his creation. I want you to turn to Exodus 34 and see the nature of God's mercy and how important it is to him. Exodus 34. Moses was not content leading Israel and being the great prophet that he was, he wanted to see the glory of God. In chapter 33 of Exodus, he asks God to show me your glory. 
If I have found favor in your sight, like you have told me I have found favor in your sight, then show me your glory. And the Lord said, no one can see my glory and survive. But because you've asked me, I'm going to put you in a special place, and I'll pass by before you, and I'll show you my backside. I'll show you as much as you'll be able to handle. Now, this is exciting for anybody that loves God right. and wants to worship him and delights in the Lord. And so God passed by and showed his glory to Moses, and here's what happened. You know what? We all want to think that a big fireworks display went off. That's a little mind. It's about that big. It doesn't know anything about the God of the Bible that thinks about fireworks and thinks about big explosions. This is the glory of God. Here it is. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him. Moses is about to see the glory of God, and here it is. And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth, generation. Mm -hmm. That is the glory of the Lord. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. That is the glory of the Lord. Don't think about explosions. Don't think about the flood. Don't think about the Red Sea being divided into parts. Although those are demonstrations of his power, this is his glory. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful Amen. and gracious forgiving, and aren't you glad, transgression, iniquity, and sin. He doesn't leave out any word used in the Bible for our sins. He forgives, and he goes right on to say that he will by no means clear the guilty, and that he rewards iniquities to the children of the third and the fourth generation. That's his justice coming into play, but he chooses to have mercy on whom he will have mercy and does not punish them according to that justice, because Jesus Christ has stood in the way for us and delivered us from that justice. He is both just and the justifier of those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the glory of God. Right. It's his mercy. He loves it to be praised. So tonight Amen. when we come together, we'll be doing something that we know is praising the glory of God. There's the evidence of it. You know, the prophets of God knew he was merciful. Did Jonah know about the mercy of God? Did Jonah know about the mercy of God? Now, did Jonah want to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh because he thought the pay was too low for a prophet? Did he want to go to Tarshish because they had more sports in that city? Did he pitch his tent toward Tarshish because he had the heart of Lot? No. He understood the mercy of God too well, and he hated Nineveh. Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. It was a very large pagan city filled with iniquity and idolatry, and he wanted the city destroyed. Jo Jonah tells us very plainly, watch, let's go to the book of Jonah because you need to see it. Jonah tells us very plainly the reason that he didn't go to Nineveh and he had to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a whale is because... He knew God was merciful and would forgive that city, and he wanted them torched. The little book of Jonah. Look at this in Jonah chapter 4. Well, you got to get the last verse of chapter 3 so that you know the context. Look at the last verse of chapter 3. It's 310. And God saw their works, that is the repentance of the city of Nineveh. And they turned from their evil way, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. First verse of the next chapter. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. He was very upset. Because he had made himself a box seat. He paid the maximum price 
built himself a box seat in a hill outside the city because he was just waiting for the fire to fall from heaven and burn up the city as he had been preaching for 40 days. If this, if this city, God is going to overthrow this city in 40 days and burn it up. But God saw their repentance and he saved it. And he repented of what he was going to do and Jonah was very angry about it. You know, sometimes it's thankful to find prophets like this that weren't always perfect in their spirits and attitudes toward men. And Jonah was, is one pitiful example. But look, here's, he gives his reasoning in verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Can you believe that? The man is complaining because God is so merciful, so gracious, so compassionate, and so forgiving. Because he wanted those people destroyed. Why did I call up this verse? Out of all the verses in the Bible about mercy? Because here's an example that a prophet knew so well that God was so merciful. And that should be a fundamental of our understanding of the Most High, that he is merciful. We should look at this verse and instead of complaining about these things, be thankful for them. Right. When you are praying for any of your relatives or someone that you love dearly, and you're praying for a work of God in their lives, guess what you can rely on? You can rely on that you know that he is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repents himself of the evil. Instead of being like Jonah, we should rejoice in those things. How many examples in the Bible are there of God's mercy? Think practically for a moment. When we look into the Garden of Eden, was there mercy to Adam? Adam sat there and named all the beasts of the field as they came before him. And it says there was found no help. Meat for Adam. So God sent him a woman. Is that mercy? Amen. Could have left him alone. But he saw that he was lonely. He said it's not good for the man to be alone. Is that merciful, tender thinking? Right. Is that pitiful thinking toward the man? It is. It's glorious. There's God showing mercy from the very beginning. As we move through time, do we see God showing mercy to Noah's family? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How about Lot? Lot should have been burned up in the city of Sodom. Don't you think? He knew that it was a, they were sinners exceedingly before the Lord, and he moved into that city and joined the city council. But God had mercy. God sent angels, and though they didn't want to leave, and though the angels had to drag them out of the city, and though they wanted to go into a neighboring city, instead of fleeing to the mountains like the angels said, God had mercy and took him all the way out of that city and to the mountains. And we go through the whole Bible, and we see the mercy of God right. over and over and over again. Hannah, persecuted by the competing wife, Peninnah, because she doesn't have a child. Does the Lord bless her? Amen. Can you tell me any of the great accomplishments of Peninnah's children? Peninnah's children were all losers in comparison to Hannah's because God blessed Hannah with mercy. Her son was Samuel. Right. And then God gave her three more sons and two more daughters after that because God had mercy on that little woman who loved him and had been persecuted. And you know I could entertain you, and it's good entertainment. It's holy entertainment if I was to go through all the examples from Genesis to Revelation of the mercy of God in natural matters. Just in natural matters. But what about spiritual matters? Does God forgive great sinners? Amen. How about Ahab? You know, the Bible tells us about Ahab that he sold himself to do evil. He gave himself over to do evil. And yet, when he walked softly and in sackcloth before God, God had mercy upon him and forgave him and said, I'm going to bring this evil on Israel during his son's reigns, but not during his life. God had mercy even on Ahab. How about David? How long did David have to grovel before Nathan the prophet? David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan immediately said, the Lord has forgiven you. That is the mercy of God. Did David know better? Were those horribly presumptuous crimes of David? The Lord forgave him. 
and forgave him so well. How about Manasseh? Remember Manasseh in the song we sing about Manasseh, number 250 in your hymnals? Manasseh was such a great sinner, horrible sinner, but God had mercy on him, took him out of prison in Babylon, put him back on his throne in Israel. Amazing story. Manasseh, the mercy of God in the life of Manasseh. How about little Zacchaeus? A corrupt man? The whole crowd knew it, but the Lord stopped and said, I want to go to Zacchaeus' house to eat. And he forgave him and said, this day salvation has come to this house because that man repented. Jesus Christ went after the man Zacchaeus, though hiding in a tree because he was such a short little guy, but he focused on him and made him the center of attention in mercy. How about the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite that had no claim to any blessings in Israel? Where the disciples said, send her away, Lord. She's bothering us. She's nagging us. Where the Lord said to her, the children deserve the bread. And she said, but Lord, do you have a few crumbs for the dog that's below the children's table? And the Lord had mercy on her. Amen. How about the woman taken in adultery? As we come through the scriptures and we see over and over and over again the displays of the mercy of God. Right. The woman taken in adultery. He says, where, woman, where are thine accusers? After he had chased them all away with a simple question. Where are thine accusers? Go and sin no more. I don't accuse you either. Wonderful. That's the mercy of our God. Amen. And it's all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right. For the Lord Jesus Christ to come, it was a mercy. Do you know what Zacharias had to say about it in Luke chapter 1? He said, through the tender mercy of our God, the day spring from on high hath visited us. He knew why Jesus Christ had come into this world. And he recognized it for what it was, tender mercy, tender mercy, to send Jesus Christ to die for us, to be punished in our place, was the tender mercy of God. And it was visible all over the cross of Calvary. When Paul preached in Acts chapter 13, when Paul preached in Acts chapter 13, he got to go into a synagogue and lay before those poor, deluded Jews who had never heard the truth. They knew God's word but they didn't know its application. He said, I bring to you a message of the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David were the promise that a son of David would always sit on David's throne, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that great promise. Amen. Do you know what we are called in Romans chapter 9? There was a great mass of clay that made up the human race, and the potter, took from that clay and made some vessels to dishonor. And they are called vessels of wrath because those vessels, those men, are the objects of God's wrath and will be the revelation of his wrath through all eternity. And they're called vessels of wrath. But from that same clay, which was all entirely condemned, he took some clay and he made other vessels and they are called vessels of mercy. Amen. Because on those vessels, he wants to display through all eternity his mercy. Right. Human existence for 6,000 years is nothing but a drama on the stage of this planet. And for the whole universe to behold, the angels included, of God revealing the perfections of his character, his wrath and his power, on the vessels of wrath prepared for that end and his abundant mercy and glory on the vessels of mercy. And we should fulfill that role by being thankful to him Amen. for his great mercy toward us. What should mercy do to us in our lives? We want to beg him for it. We need his mercy over us and on us in all parts of our lives. When we confess our sins, we should confess them like David. Have mercy, O Lord because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, because he is merciful. And because there's forgiveness with him, we can fear him. We should be faithful under adversity. Do you know what J J James chapter 5 and verse 11 tells us about Job? And it says, ye see 
the end of the Lord, how the Lord is full of mercy. Because Job was punished. It appeared to be punishment. Sore trials and adversity in his life. Great difficulties, one after another. Hit from every angle. And yet the Bible wants us to know, do you know the end of the Lord? Do you know how the Lord ends up such a relationship to a man? He is full of pity. He is full of mercy. Job ended up with twice what he had in the beginning, in the end, because the Lord is full of mercy. So we ought to be able to bear up under our adversities. The great mercies that God gives us should not lead us to sin. They should lead us to repentance. Don't we know that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance? That's what the Bible teaches. It should never promote wickedness. It should promote a whole lot of worship and praise and a cause of joy in our lives that the Lord has been merciful. Can you imagine Israel singing Psalm 136 with sad faces? For his mercy endureth forever as they went through their nation's history. For his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let me leave you with a final point of application, and that is the mercy of God is a pattern for us to show mercy to others, to our enemies, to our neighbors, and to our brethren. And we will receive mercy to the degree that we show it in overlooking the faults of others, including our enemies. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I mentioned to you very early this morning when we began, that I wanted to show you the context of the bushel basket pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over, what the context was for that description. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35. Luke 6, 35. What we want to see as we conclude on considering the mercy of God, His great mercy toward us in so many ways, especially in Christ, but it ought to provoke in us to show mercy ourselves, if we are truly the sons of God, we will have his character, and that is a soul full of mercy. Luke 6.35, Jesus said, But love ye your enemies. Those people that offend you, irritate you, and trouble you, and hurt you are your enemies. These are not the enemies of God. These are your enemies. Sometimes they're in your own family. Sometimes they're in your church. Sometimes they're your neighbors, they're colleagues at work, they're your personal enemies. Love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. We want to be merciful like God is. Verse 37, judge not, and ye shall not be judged. That is no judgment at all. That is judge mercifully. That is judge fairly. That is don't judge hypocritically, because the Bible tells us to judge righteous judgment. Judge not hypocritically or too harshly or too severely, and ye shall not be judged too harshly or too severely. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. And in that context, look at the next verse. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Now do you appreciate that verse? Look at the context of it. To the degree that we give to others, in overlooking and forgiving their faults and offenses against us, and doing good to them and lending, not hoping for anything back, even treating our enemies that way, the Lord is going to bring it back. You know the little expression, what goes around comes around. Here it is fulfilled in the way of forgiveness and acts of charity. In Luke chapter 6. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Remember, He said, be merciful as your Father in heaven, which is merciful, and to the degree that you show it, with the measure that you are using in your giving, is the measure that will be used by God in returning to you. That is a principle of God's operations in the earth. 
And if you want God's mercy on you, you will be that merciful to others. If you complain about other people, run them down, backbite about them, whisper about them, hold bitterness in your heart toward others, God will remember that, which is a measure about that big. It's pretty well closed off. You have shut yourself off from the mercy of God. But if you will forgive and overlook and do good and pray for even your enemies, that opens up the channel of mercy from God toward us. That's a bigger measure. And God will pour it back to you that way. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Mercy loves to forgive an offense and not to judge it. And to the degree that you show mercy without judgment is the degree that God will show you mercy without judgment. Right. Much, much more could be said on this particular point. There's at least 50 more references that you can see if you want to look in an outline later to see how much the mercy that you realize in your life practically is dependent on the mercy you show others. May the Lord bless us this day to know him better, to be thankful for his mercy, to look for it in our lives, to praise him for it, and to always remember that when we have need and when we need help, we can run to him and lay hold of his mercy, and he's full of it. He's full of it. It's higher than the heavens, and his ways are not our ways. When, you're, when the devil throws a dart at your soul and says, how can you go and ask for forgiveness again for this sin when you've committed it so many times? That is the devil trying to get you to compare God's mercy to your mercy. And your mercy would not forgive in that same situation. But the Lord will abundantly pardon because his ways and thoughts are so much higher than our ways and thoughts. We can lay hold of the mercy of God and rejoice in it. It will see us through time and eternity. It will see us through this life and the next one. He will take care of all of his Hannah's and all of his David's who love him and put their trust in him. The mercy of God is great. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen.